the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts along with some very special guests today in studio, including Ronnie Habor with Living Waters Village of Borneo and... Pastor Leighton Sheely, Senior Pastor at Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. Gentlemen, let's pick up the conversation where we left off just prior to the break. Now, ironically, Scripture talks about sharing the gospel in the Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Certainly, uh, Ronnie Habor's <laughs> piece of property down there would qualify as the uttermost parts. But if we start with the premise that Judea is at home, it's the backyard, it's El Camino Real in San Bruno, and then we move on from there, then our heartbeat and our passion for missions work should be as 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 vibrant as it is the desire to want to help the next-door neighbor who's just gotten that cancer diagnosis and doesn't know Jesus. Well, you know, I'm I just so grateful to the Lord um, for, uh, you know, for bringing, me, for bringing me to Church of the Highlands. And, you know, this is my 40th year at Church of the Highlands. And for, for the most part of it, you know, I every Sunday I go to church and listen to Pastor Don Shilly, you know, and again, in, in God's timing, uh, you know, Pastor Don, you know, asked me to be, you know, the mission pastor for Highland. And again, it's just so, so amazing. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I get to spend lots and lots of time with Pastor Don. When we started to do mission in Borneo, in the first four years we did, it was just Pastor Dan and I that, that goes. This was the project that we had. It's called Mount Hope. You know, and, you know, we would, I mean, when you sit with Pastor Dan for, you know, 26, 27 hours at a time, you know, you you will learn something. Yeah, something's going to rub <laughs> yeah. off. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so, no you doubt. know, I really, really learned so much from, from Pastor Dan. And, you know, I got his vision for mission. You know, one of the things that is very clear in my mind to see Asadan's passion for mission. One day we were we were in Kuching, we were on the way to church, and we were sitting both of us on the back of a taxi, and everything was just quiet. It, it, it was you know it, 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 it was it was so quiet, and then all of a sudden, you know. Pastor Dan, he just looked up the ceiling of the cab, closed his eyes. He said, do you know, Tony, it must be really, really difficult, you know, for God. Can you imagine the people that are going to be lost? And he just closed his eyes, you know, and never said a word until we got to the church. So you can just feel, you know, his heart 
you know, for reaching out with the gospel to the lost. Yeah. And, you know, that really put, you know, an impression on my mind and in my heart that, yes, for whatever time that the Lord gave me, that is going to be my passion. You know, is to go on mission, you know, to bring other people from our church for mission. You know, and uh, and it was actually during those trip, one of those trip that Pastor Dan and I get to meet Ronnie when he just was just getting started with Living Water Village. So, you know, for me, it's, you know, I, uh, you know, I'm just like going to burst over, you know, with with thankfulness, you know, to God, you know, and, you know, and I keep, you know, whenever I, I preach or I, you know, I talk to the young people, you know, I said, just, just remember, you know, the Bible is a very complicated book. You know, theologians have been trying to figure it out for 20,000 to 2,000 years, you know, I, I, I tell them. But, you know, really, it boils down to two things. You know, the greatest commandment and the great commission. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we have this motto with our mission team. It's go love. Because... The greatest commandment and the great commission boils down to those two words: go, love. You know, and you know, and it's just amazing what what God is doing. Like you know, Pastor Layton says about some of the young people that have gone on mission and they have seen it. It just totally turned their life around. You know, make make them change the direction of their, you know, like what they want for their future. You know, I was just sharing with Pastor Layton, you know, last night that uh, actually at uh, at lunch yesterday with Pastor Rani, several of the young people, you know, that went on the mission, you know, and saw the needs, especially the medical need, came back and went to nursing and went to medical school, went to take up dentistry, just like that. You know, and and now they are. There's there's already like already have a couple of nurses that have been coming back with me to the mission field mm-hmm. from these young people that in their high school years, you know, they went on mission and God changed their life. I think that capacity to think outside of our own little corner of the world, our own little segment of the world. And to see what God is doing in other places with other people and other cultures. You know, I mean, probably the most oft-quoted scripture, and there was a period of time in the 80s and 90s, if you went to any football game at the 49er Stadium, uh, you would see signs, John 3.16. Almost everybody, including the secularists out there, know, for God so loved the world. The world. It takes us beyond our neighborhood, our family unit, our own culture, our own uh, roots, and takes us literally to the end of the planet and to begin to even capture a glimpse of the breadth and depth of God's love and the capacity of this gospel message 
of the story of this Jesus and what he came to do on behalf of all of us that transcends every language, every piece of geography, in every culture for all time is an absolute mind blow. I mean, it's one thing to talk about what you see God do. We had a great service on Sunday. Oh, pastor just really, he preached up a storm and that choir, just amazing. Now get in an airplane, travel half a world away, people that you've never seen, a language you cannot speak, culture that's very different from yours, and walk into that little house church, that little village church set out in a clearing out in the middle of Borneo or on the plains of, 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 of Africa and to see that same God impacting change in lives and realize the connectedness that at the end of the day, yeah, we may come from different bloodlines and different cultures and different societies, but at the end of the day, we are all together created in the image of not many gods, but just one God. And we we share that in our DNA. And to capture a glimpse of the impact, the profound impact that this gospel has had down through the millennia, and that he calls upon us to go ahead and pay forward that impact by sharing our faith with others, be it getting on an airplane and saying, Ronnie, you're crazy, you can't take your family there, but I'm going anyway because God told me to, to the next door neighbor that needs to hear an encouraging word because they're facing a crisis of health in their family and they don't know where to turn, and you know that Jesus is the great healer. Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highland San Bruno, along with Ronnie Habor from Living Waters Village in Borneo. My special guests on this special edition of Lifeline. A brief time out, back with more as the conversation continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Craig Roberts, along with some very special guests today in studio, including Ronnie Habor with Living Waters Village of Borneo and Pastor Leighton Sheely, Senior Pastor at Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. Gentlemen, let's pick up the conversation where we left off just prior to the break. Now, I want to just kind of have listeners gain a, a perspective on this potential profound impact that each and every one of us can be a part of. Maybe we're not going to get on the plane and go to Borneo. Maybe we're not going to travel to uh, the Ukraine and set up a Bible college. But we go to work every day. We have a word or two with the person at the cash register that checks us out at Safeway or the cubicle mate in our place of work who's going through a difficult time in their marriage relationship right now and God can uniquely give us a word of hope and encouragement you know mm-hmm. to your point Pastor Sheely earlier you were talking about just the desire to make ourselves available and, and for God to to speak in us and through us mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you have to be uh, have the ability to be the perfect apologist and have scripture from Genesis to Revelation memorize and be able to to instantly give a a counter response to the person who's the atheist, who's the Mormon, who's whatever, Mm -hmm. but instead just simply in our faith experience, be bold enough to trust him, Mm -hmm. to go out on a limb, to move beyond our comfort zone, Mm -hmm. and 
and give God an opportunity to love others through us. I would imagine this world would look very different if more of us were willing to do just that. I, I, I think it would be great. I, I, you know, I've, I've come to the conclusion nobody's going to end up in heaven because they lost an argument. well put (laughs) so you know there there are some people who are they have an expertise for being able to present evidence to support a particular side but uh, that's a specialty and and we as christians can express our interest in and our uh, concern for others just very simply by you mentioned you know going to the grocery line or whatever the case might be you might uh, say to the person across the counter or across the table or uh, on the bus or whatever it might be that, you know, listen, I just want to know that, that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something. I'm praying for somebody every day. And, and I was wondering if there's something I can pray for you about. And, it, and it's, it's non-confrontational. It does uh, bring the attention to spiritual matters, and, and that's important because people just go through day after day constantly being distracted by the things of this world and not the things that are eternal and spiritual and so forth. And it opens up the possibility of uh, somebody sharing. Now, they might reject it. That's fine. Um, but what we have found over the years is that most people, if, they, if somebody offers to pray for them, that... That opens up uh, uh, people's hearts. You know, I, I just found out I've got cancer, or my somebody in my family does, or whatever the situation might be, <clears throat> and gives an opportunity just to to connect with people. And so, I, I think that that it'd be great if uh, Christians would, and that that requires getting out of, outside of our comfort zone, even just making the initiative is there something i can pray for you about get a little out of our comfort zone and open up people's with people and and start these conversations that have to do with reality and spiritual reality it's easy to encounter the waitress who seems to be in a rush short-tempered got out of the bed on the wrong side sort of scenario who maybe got out of the wrong side of the bed because she just learned that her son has been arrested for drug possession and she's beside herself or that her father has been diagnosed with stage four cancer and in that instant instead of criticizing or getting ready to go back to the office and tell your co-workers, boy, that waitress up at XYZ restaurant, she was really in a foul mood today. Instead, to stop and say, anything I can, you know, I love to pray. I pray every day. Anything I can pray about for you and watch the heart melt and the attitude completely change instantly. And you may find yourself in one of those Jesus encounters right then and there. Or you may not have a prepared script, but God will give you the words to bring hope and comfort that could become a life-changing encounter. You know, they often say, well, the problem with some folks who have never come to Jesus is because they've either met a Christian and didn't like the experience or have never met a Christian. How, how many of us spurn the opportunity to be used as a vessel that God can love others through simply because we're either not willing to take the risk 
not willing to step out in faith, not willing to allow a little bit of the, the trust factor and, and say, God, I don't know, and I admit that I don't know, but you know everything. So here we go. Roll up our sleeves and dive in. That we're not willing to take those kinds of risks is probably demonstrative of why there's so many hurting people out there mm. that are looking for somebody to tell them the good news. And here we sit with the answers, and yet, out of fear, we're oftentimes paralyzed. As our time begins to wind down, Pastor Tony, in in your years of ministry and in looking at the way in which missions work at Highlands is not a one-time-a-year event, it's not an afterthought, it's literally baked into the DNA of Church of the Highlands. And as you've watched young people go off on missions trips, maybe begrudgingly, and came back with a completely different attitude. How, in your mind, does that impact not only the, the, the ministry of Highlands, but individual lives? The impact is huge. Because, um, you know, it's with, with the young people, you know, you integrate their parents and their siblings, you know, and their grandparents and aunts and Uncles, you know. So, you know, you you have you have one young lady or young man that come to mission throughout the process. I mean, even before the process, throughout the process, and when they come back, they impact a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Not just their families, mind you, but their schoolmate. If they're working, their coworkers, because now they're able to tell them. I went, you know, and this is what I saw. And this is now how my life is going to be from now on. You know, I, I, had a, I had a young lady that went in one mission field. And then when I come back, the mother came up to me and he said, What did you do with Sarah? <laughs> I said, what? She came what back. There's <laughs> a whole new Sarah. So you know, Pastor Tony, before she went on that mission trip, she has never washed any dishes at home. <laughs> <laughs> when she came back, we were sitting out for dinner. When everybody's done, she started collecting all the dirty dishes, took it to, took it to the sink, and started washing it. I mean, that's just one. You know, I can tell you many others. You know, I have to. But and 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 for me, you know, after a few mission trip, then I say, okay, this is not just overseas mission trip. Mission has got to be, you know, a daily thing for me. You know, so you know, at you know, at school, even though I didn't have to do it, but in the morning, and Pastor Layton can tol- tell you this. In the morning, three days out of the week, I would come early in the morning, you know, and, and, and greet the student. Just say good morning or mm-hmm. high five mm-hmm. as they come in and also watch, you know, watch the, the traffic, you know. And eventually, you know, we start doing local mission, you know. So now we're involved with city team, you know, actually, you know, in... April 
Highlands is going to host the fundraising for CDT. You know, so it's it's a it's an everyday thing, and again, Highlands is blessed because we also have a school. You know, so we can minister like seven days a week. Mm-hmm. You know, because we have you know we have the students during the parents during the week. You know, and then you know we have the congregation that comes on weekend. And the thing that really very encouraging for me post COVID at Highlands is that. Every Sunday, I will see parents, you know, who has children at Highland Christian School start coming to church, mm-hmm. bringing their children to Sunday school, and they coming in, you know, to sit, you know, in the sanctuary. And they've seen what's happening in the life of their student. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they're beginning to notice, like you said, they're washing the dishes. Wait a minute. <laughs> I want to know, what did they say? We've tried for years to try to make that happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I was, you know, when the mom told me that, I, you know, my first thing was, oh, my goodness, did she got sick or did something happen to her? And I didn't know. But, you know, praise God. (laughs) Well, I want to thank all three of you for being in studio with us today and uh, sharing a a bit of a glimpse of the heartbeat of Church of the Highlands and and, and that that sense of Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part when it comes to to, uh, outreach and evangelism. And uh, certainly, Ronnie Habor, uh, the stories, every time you come, you never fail to disappoint. (laughs) More accurately put, God never fails to disappoint. Um, and uh, we want to just continue to uh, to be praying for your ministry and what God is doing and that this uh, this miracle that he has wrought in the jungles of Borneo continue for many, many years to come. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We dive into a topic that we have traversed upon on one or two occasions. As you know, um, uh, having been a student of the United Nations... Since it had its auspicious beginnings here in San Francisco uh, at the close of the Second World War, had been kind of a um, a pet project of earlier President Roosevelt, and then of course carried through to fruition by President Truman. Uh, this idea that rather than fighting wars to settle our differences, we would instead, as the the world community, sit down across the table, engage in debate, give and take, and ultimately be able to uh, resolve our issues or differences um, in a peaceful fashion. Well, it's one of those deals where a lot like communism, it looked good on paper, but in reality, it simply doesn't play out. As you look at the history of uh, the United Nations and some of the speech-making that was made in the early days in terms of the goals of the United Nations, you come to one very alarming conclusion, and that is over the 50-60 year course of history of the United Nations, it really hasn't accomplished any of its goals. In fact, if anything, it has spent uh, billions and billions of dollars. We have not seen a world free from war. And outside of the occasional intervention into areas where there is maybe a natural disaster and need for, um, you know, immediate relief work uh, or vaccination of children against certain diseases and so forth, uh, the United Nations, in the opinion of many that are honest enough to admit it, has been a total, utter failure. Yet with all of that, we continue to support the organization. We continue to kowtow to the organization. The big question is why? Won't someone 
pull the veil, the thin veil that exists in front of the United Nations and bear it all for everyone in the world to see? Well, my next guest has indeed done just that. Think um Think of Michael Moore if he had um, a conservative CV and uh, and a little intellectual integrity uh, might perhaps do a film just like this. There is a new uh, film that has been produced called You and Me or Unme by my guest. He is um, a writer with the National Review, the Weekly Standard, and um, spent some 13 years as an investment banker and is now a writer, director, and producer. And Amy Horowitz, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Oh, it's my pleasure. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Now, first, I, I you... Gotta, I got I to say, though, I, you know, just so you know, I was up at 5 in the morning to do Fox & Friends. I, this is my 24th interview today, and I've had a couple cocktails, so I'm going to really try to dig deep and bring it for you, Craig. All right. We're going to count on that here, the, the last big push of, uh, of, uh, of energy here, uh, Amy. <laughs> first, out of curiosity, your, your, your background as an investment banker, how did you become a filmmaker, and of all topics, why dive into what goes on behind the scenes at the U.N.? Well, you know, you said it really well in, in your introduction. You know, I, I was actually watching, it's funny you reference Michael Moore. I was actually watching a Michael Moore film one Saturday night in my apartment. And I had seen it before, so I started drifting off, and I started thinking about the U.N. for some reason. I couldn't tell you why. And I was, and I was thinking about, you know, the, the, the bias against Israel. I was thinking about the Rwandan genocide, the Sudanese genocide going on right now. And whose role is it to, to put a stop to these things? Whose role is it to protect human rights? And it, it was an obvious answer. The role it's supposed to be filled by the United Nations. Mm-hmm. And clearly hasn't done that. And I felt two emotions. First of all, I felt infuriated. And I also felt very small. And I felt very powerless. I had this, this, really, this really big issue here. And who really cares what I have to say? My kids don't care what I have to say. So I thought... I'm not going to get this point across. And I felt very powerless and, and upset about that. And I looked over at the screen, and I saw, you know, the Michael Moore film. I saw, you know, so what, say what you will about his politics. The man knows how to, to take a, what was a staid medium documentary and make it interesting and accessible and entertaining. So that's the model I wanted to follow. It was really important to create sort of a very entertaining, entertainment-based documentary and then also explain to people why the U.N. has failed us so badly. This is kind of like the uh, the ending to The Wizard of Oz, isn't it? In the sense that you know we work our way down the yellow brick road with all these great promises of all the wonderful things that the wizard is going to do, and at the end the curtain gets pulled back, and we find that it's a, you know the short little mustachioed bearded man uh, who really isn't a wizard at all. Is that a fair comparison to the uh, fifty, sixty plus year history of the U.N.? Not only is it a fair comparison, that's our poster. <laughs> our poster is me walking down the yellow brick road, and the background, you know, in the foreground, you have the, the ominous-looking United Nations, because that's exactly the way, the way you framed it is exactly right. And i got to tell you, I've not seen the poster, so that, that's a stroke of genius on somebody's behalf. It is indeed. And by the way, mark, marketing people didn't like it, so now I have a, I, I view as backup on why it was a good I Google idea. back and say, you know what, this one talk show host in San Francisco came with up, up with the idea without even seeing it. So there you go. Go, to, you go, go. To, go, to, go to print. i got to tell you really, a quick story. because it, it is very much the Wizard of Oz. Years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to uh, East Africa. 
And I was in a neighboring country. I don't want to say which one, but I was in a neighboring country to the disaster that's been going on uh, in the Darfur region. And we, we got up near the border, and there were some discussions that took place with some of my hosts about what had been going on. And their passion was, please take this story back to America. Please take it back to the West. They need to know what's happening. We have kidnappings going on. We have uh, outright genocide taking place. We have modern-day slavery. And we took note of the fact, this group of broadcast journalists that I was with, that there seemed to be along the border region there where this activity was taking place, a fair amount of presence of the United Nations and the U.N. peacekeeping forces. And there they are in the the white trucks with the black lettering on them. And and one of us in our group was, I guess, uh, ignorant enough to ask what seemed to be an obvious question. And that is, well, if the U.N. is already here, you already have peacekeeping forces here. Why don't they step in and do something? And the answer that came back, Amy, has haunted me to this day. The answer that was provided us by some some African national leaders was, well, it seems to us, in so many words I'm paraphrasing here, that the UN just doesn't know what side to be for and what side to be against. That says it all. I mean, there's a line in my movie which says they have a hard time determining who is the aggressor and who is the victim. All right, same basic idea here. And, and of course, we were appalled by this. What do you mean? It seems to be so clear to the outside observer, and yet there they are, largely lethargic, uh, incapable of making a decision to stand up for what everybody else seems to be uh, clear on as to what's the side of righteousness. You want me to tell you exactly how that came to be? Please. It's very simple. I mean, it's frightening, but simple. There, there are two UNs, and there are two sides. There are two, there are two different sides of the same coin. On the one side, you have the quote-unquote good people who work there, and they live in an absolute moral fog. Moral relativity is their moral compass, much like the Europeans. And it's, it's difficult for them to say that these people are doing wrong, these people are doing right. Those are judgments. We don't make judgments at the United Nations. And those are the good people. <laughs> the other side of the coin are the bad people. These are the people who populate the UN who come from these rogue regimes, the Sudanese bureaucrats, the Iranian bureaucrats, the North Korean bureaucrats. And these guys are actively trying to move the UN in a, in a negative direction. So that's really what it comes down to, that the best people there have no moral compass. And if you don't have a moral compass, you can't determine who's right, who's wrong. Well, you, you, some kind of bizarre world where right is wrong and wrong is right, as in the case of the state of Israel and how they treat them. You you cite an example. You you talk about an interview that you had, and you had a chance to meet with a number of folks. Some were happy to see you. Others didn't know who you were, probably just as well. <laughs> you had a conversation with a Sudanese ambassador on the very topic uh, that I touched on, the, the genocide in Darfur. Uh, when you interviewed him, what was his response as to why this was happening? Climate change climate change it's it's too warm there and that's the reason why people are being kidnapped girls as young as eight and ten years old are being sold into sexual slavery that's because of climate change if only we showered all of darfur with the disc of inconvenient truth we would solve the problem or as i say in the movie if we just drive priuses there'd be no more people hacked to death in darfur 
We're going to come back to more of our conversation. Find out, too, where you can see a copy of uh, Unme, UNME, um, by writer, director, and producer Amy Horowitz. We'll get to that part of the conversation and more as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. The Charter of the United Nations, which you are now signing, is a solid structure upon which we can build for a better world. History will honor you for it. Between the victory in Europe and the final victory in Japan, in this most destructive of all wars, you have won a victory against war itself. Wow. There is President Truman uh, at the uh, founding, the charter meeting of the United Nations in San Francisco back in June of 1945. Amy Horowitz pulling back the curtain in many respects to show us the uh, the wizard behind the curtain is really no wizard at all. He's got a new film out called You and Me. We've long here been observers of the U.N., as I mentioned in my opening remarks, Amy, uh, uh, looking at things like, look at the membership of who makes up the U.N. Security Council, or or better yet, the U.N. Council on Human Rights. I mean, you know, China is one of the leading council members. Yeah, like, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's again, it's this, it's this lack of moral clarity uh, that the U.N. has. By the way, and you, you pointed something out, because you're, you're a local, that most people don't know. This, this, the, that the founding conference took place um, in San Francisco. But I don't know if you know this. One of the things which I like to cite about how they've lost their way is that the, con- the only countries allowed to be founding members were countries who had declared war on the Axis powers. A real, you know, real time of moral clarity. The, the UN said if you couldn't have stood up against the greatest evil the world had ever known, you don't have a right to be a founding member of the UN. I'm going to give you, Craig, I'm going to give you a quick quiz. Who was the founding secretary general at that conference? Oh, gosh, I know this. I'll give you a hint. He was a Soviet spy. Yeah, yeah, uh, and eventually ended up getting, uh, yes, he ended up, in fact, getting tried for treason and was executed. Alger Hiss. Alger Hiss, thank you. Alger Hiss. That just shows you what the U.N. was made of even back then. From the very beginning. So we're, we're talking about even at its very foundation. Yeah. Questionable issues. You know, it, it's really unbelievable. And, and what you, you essentially have is this notion of, you know, the, uh, the, the fox guarding the hen house. Oh, yes. You know, you mentioned China. You know, sitting on the Security Council. Well, China also sits, you know, a country where, where they force abortions, where they force women to be sterilized, where they, they kill uh, firstborn uh, girls. This is a country that sits on the Human Rights Council. Uh, and you, we can go on and on. You know, we interviewed, I don't know if you remember the interview with the Iranian ambassador, talking about how to hang gay people, talking about it with glee. And, uh, and these are the people who are, who are the vice chair of the women's rights uh, body in the U.N. It's, it's, the, a no, it's bizarro world, right, where everything is upside down. And, you know, listen, like I said before, this would have been too much to take in a documentary if we didn't try to include this levity and humor. In fact, you'd be surprised to hear this, but we have a lot of Michael Moore's writers wrote for us. One of Michael Moore's main editors. We had writers from The Onion, The Daily Show, who all got together to make this movie because they didn't look at this movie as right or left. They looked at it as right or wrong. And actually, you know, the, the, we're now getting a lot of traction 
from the liberal media. The Washington Post just had a big review of the movie that came out today. Well, they love the movie. This is the Washington Post, the bastion of liberalism. And I, I think we're on to something here because this is not something that should divide us. This shouldn't be a conservative issue. It's, an, it's, it's, a, it's a freedom issue. I think, I think I may have found a topic, and I'm very proud to say this, where left and right can come together on an issue. Well, and as I've long argued, uh, looking at how ineffective the United Nations has been, I mean, if you look at the uh, first at, at, at the foundation, the close of World War II, and here we are, we need to come together so that war can stop, so that we can deal with our differences over the table as opposed to over the battlefield. And, you know, it, the ink on the U.N. charter was barely dry, and we have troops marching throughout China, and all of a sudden in comes the incursion of North into South, and we've got the Korean War. That's 1953, and then we know the lineage. There have been nanoseconds of time in which can be measured that the world has been at peace since the close of World War II. Let's go back to World War One, The war to end world wars. Yeah, that really turned out well. And, Amy, before we go any further, for folks that would like to be able to screen this film, where is it available? Well, it's playing in theaters across the country. Now, you're located in the Bay Area, right? Correct. And we didn't bother putting it there. We weren't sure how much traction we get from you folks. (laughs) But it is available on video on demand from your local cable company. You could could watch it there. It's also on iTunes. You can can download it there. Xbox and all other types of uh, sundry... uh, but yeah, video, video on demand and iTunes, probably the two most accessible ways you guys can see it uh, up there in San Francisco, one of the weirdest, strangest places in this country. What kind of traction are you getting to the film so far, and have you gotten any reaction from anybody that has even a remote connection to the United Nations? Let me take the first, let to answer the first part first. The traction has been unbelievable. First of all, from audiences. We have now done uh, dozens of studio test screenings. And we've shown it to liberals, conservatives. Now, we knew conservatives would like this movie. That was a no-brainer. And, and of course they do. But what I was surprised to see was that people who had filled out a form going in saying that, that they have... People who wrote in a form saying that the U.S. is doing either a good job or a great job. When they came out, 70% of those people said that they have completely changed their mind about the United Nations. A really powerful statistic that I'm very proud of. And in terms of traction from the press, listen, we're doing all, you know, like I said, the Fox and Friends today, I'm doing Hannity this week, I'm doing Bill O'Reilly this week, we're doing all the Fox stuff and the Glenn Beck stuff and, and all that stuff, that, that we knew we were getting. But I'm shocked as to the level of people's interest in the mainstream media. You know, Washington Post, Chicago Sun-Times, LA Times, Daily News, they're all doing feature stories on me in the movie. They're all obviously reviewing it, but they're also doing feature stories. We're on CNN, uh, MSNBC. I mean, really tremendous amount of access Hollywood. I mean, I can go on and on. The mainstream media really has, and I'm really touched, uh, taken a shine to this movie, and they don't see this as a conservative movie. They see this as what, what the truth is, what the reality is, and I'm really proud of that. Well, and as you articulated earlier, when you get down to the core, look, whether you uh, lean right or lean left, that isn't the point of this film or the issue of of taking to task what has been the absolute utter failure of the United Nations at at every single point within the charter. It comes down to really ultimately a question of not right or left, but right or wrong. That's that's exactly the perfect way to put it. And and I think that, uh, listen, I'm proud 
that conservatives have rallied around this issue first, and this was a big issue for us for years. And I'm just glad the left are coming aboard now. It doesn't matter to me they weren't with us before, they're with us now. And I think that this is in, in a, our highly partisan and vitriolic political atmosphere that we live in now. It's really nice to see us come together on an issue. I'm, I'm really, I think that's an amazing thing. I have long argued that it has been high time for many years now for the U.N. to get out of the U.S. and the U.S. to get out of the U.N.N. I mean, let Moscow host the thing or Beijing if it likes. But <laughs> at the end of the day, it has failed at utterly every single point in the charter. And we have spent billions and billions of dollars, and particularly the U.S. I mean, we are the largest single contributor. What, what is the number, Amy? It's like 8 or 10 or $12 billion a year. We have to give them. 2010 was eight billion. They say 2011 will be over 10 billion, and and it's it's almost it's almost going up like a hockey stick. And it's 25 percent of their entire entire budget, which brings me to to another point. Here's what we are: we've become enablers of the UN. We can, and it's not again. It's Republican administrations. It's Democratic administrations. We've continued to give these guys checks, and not say, hold on a second. Before I give you this hard-earned money from American taxpayers, maybe we ought to have a little bit of accountability. Maybe we should have some transparency. Maybe we should have some standards, some pretty basic stuff. And we've never done that. And I think that there's, we have an opportunity now to do exactly that. I think Congress has become more bipartisan on this issue. I've seen for the first time Democrats also fed up with the way the UN is treating Israel, the way the UN is going against our interests. And if, if, if people see this movie and they're animated by it, and I think they will be, what they got to do is they got to call their congressmen. They got to call their senators. I know it sounds trite. It may even sound empty. I promise you guys it's not. They take what their constituents say. And I think we need to do that. And I think if we do that, we may have an impact. Especially during an election year. You know, at the end of the day, it's like paying for a membership fee uh, to a gym that you never go to. If you go to, you never spend any time on the machines. You never lose any weight. All you're doing is spending money and getting no results. Check it out. You can get details again as to where to find it. And uh, he mentioned iTunes, other places. Unmovie, U-N-M-E, movie.com. That's unmemovie.com. Our thanks to... Um, Writer, director, producer, Amy Horowitz. Amy, uh, in a compelling conversation, as compelling as the film is, and, and for a guy who's done, you know, 26-something interviews in one afternoon, you did a great job. that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The 
explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.